All right, if you want to get your Bibles, we're going to go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And I have to share something my daughter commented on this morning. Because I had made the comment, you know, we had just gotten through Revelation last year, and I said, well, let's pick a shorter book so we can get through that in a few months. And we've been a few months in the first chapter of Peter already, so it's not going to be a few months. It's whatever God has us, uh, however long God has us in this book, but we're going to continue learning, continuing studying together. And we are at verses 13 through 16. We began this last week, and frankly, I don't know if we're going to finish it this week because there's just so much packed into these verses, but we'll do our best. And as an introduction to these verses, I just want to remind you what we've seen so far in chapter 1. Remember, Paul greet, or Paul Peter greets the believers that he's writing to as the chosen ones of God, and he encourages us that our salvation is not about us. It's the work of Christ. It's accomplished through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It, we, it is that we are chosen by God, and so it's not us that saves ourselves. God is the one who saves us, and because of that, we have an eternal hope. And it's that eternal hope that gives us hope in this life. It's not just something that we look forward to after life. It's the life that we have now that we live in hope. And so Peter explains all of that in the first 12 verses. It's a great salvation, so great that both the angels and the Old Testament prophets wanted to know more about it because neither one of them experienced it in the way that we do in the church personally. And so it's a great privilege. And then as we got down to verses 13 through 16, Peter shifts gears a little bit in that now he's given us this explanation of the great salvation we have in Christ. And then he says, because we have this great salvation, we've also been given a great responsibility. And that great responsibility is that God has called us in salvation to live a life of holiness. And last night week, we spent some time talking about what holiness is and what we are called to in holiness. In Justice Review, we saw that holiness is the chief attribute of God. It describes all of his other characteristics in that he is perfectly complete, perfect, mature in every aspect of his nature. So God can't get any better than he already is in any way. Everything about him is as good as it can get. And that is what makes him holy. He's perfect in that regard. And because he's perfect in every aspect of his character, of course, he cannot sin. He cannot be associated with sin or connected with sin. And that's what separates us in our sin from him. And that's why we need to be saved. And then once we're saved, then God says, I want you to be like me, holy. We are to be holy people. And that's what we read as we read verses 13 through 16. So let's read that passage again together, and you can follow along as I start at verse 13. We're going to go down through verse 16, and then we will look more in depth at this passage. Verse 13, he says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, 
But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Let's take a minute and pray, and then we'll look at this more in depth. Father, again, we just thank you for your word. We know that you've revealed to us all the truth that you want us to know right here in this book. And Lord, as we study this passage, Lord, there's important lessons for all of us. There's lessons about our salvation. There's lessons what we've been called to and how that is to be lived out in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you, through your spirit, would teach us, would open our minds, would give us understanding. And Lord, help us to understand how to put these things into practice as we yield to the leading of your spirit. And Father, we want to give you the praise and glory during this time, so we ask that you do your work. Fill me with your spirit. Give me strength and boldness. Give me wisdom as I speak, and give me your words to speak so that we might hear from you. Lord, we can't do this on our own, and so we just implore you to help us through this time to teach us those things that you would have us learn. And we'll give you the praise and glory now, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, as I mentioned, the first part of this chapter is an exposition of our salvation, and then is the responsibility. We've been called to be holy people. That's why God has saved us. He didn't save us to make our lives better. He didn't save us to give us all the blessings. He didn't even save us so we could go to heaven. He saved us so he could make us holy people to reflect him in this world. We are to be beacons, lighthouses, if you will, ambassadors of that truth to a lost world. And that's why we're here. And so he says, when you do that, you are to do it in holiness, reflecting the nature of God. So Peter makes it very clear that it's not just about the inward, it's also about the outward. If you look at verse 15, he says, He which has called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. Again, we looked at that last week, and we saw that a lot of people think holiness is only about the inside. The inside is all that matters. The heart is all that God looks at. So the outside really doesn't matter a lot. And Peter says just the opposite here. If we have been changed on the inside, then the outward conduct, and that's the word he uses here, will change as well. And therefore, our outward actions, our our living, will reflect that holy nature of God, not just our, our inner heart. Okay? So that's the call of holiness that God has given us here. And as Peter issues this call of God to holiness, then he gives us some direction about what we need to do or what has to happen on our part if this is to be accomplished in us. And that's where we're going to go back to verses 13 and 14 and kind of focus on our part in holiness. We saw God's part and what God has called us to in holiness. But in 13 and 14... It is things that we must do, work that we must be involved in as we pursue growth and holiness and spiritual maturity. And that's really what holiness is. It's a maturing in our character, becoming more like Christ. And that's accomplished by the Holy Spirit through the truth that we understand and put into practice. And so based on Peter's instruction here, we understand that holiness or that pursuit of holiness is a cooperative effort between the work that God is doing in us and then our response to that leading and work that he does within us. So we have a a, a responsibility as well. 
And that's where verses 13 and 14 comes in. Our holiness is dependent upon our submission and response to the work and leading of the Holy Spirit. It's not, well, I'm saved, God has changed me, Christ is going to be in me, the Holy Spirit's going to make me perfect, and so I don't need to do anything. I'm just going to sit back and coast the rest of my life, and then I get to go to heaven. Okay, Peter says just the opposite in verses 13 and 14. And so as we look at our part in holiness, I want to look at it from the perspective of the things that hinder us or the obstacles to holiness that we encounter in this pursuit of holiness. And there's three that we're going to look at. And I don't know if we'll get to all of them this morning, but I'm telling you up front, here's what they are as we look at this passage. Number one is apathy, and with that comes laziness. Number two is ignorance, and number three is our lust. And Paul and Peter talks about all three of those, or references all three of those in this passage. So the first obstacle that we want to look at to holiness is apathy, and with that comes laziness. Look at verse 13 with me, if you will. Peter says this, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end of the, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Going on in verse 14, As obedient children, do not fashion yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. There are lots of action verbs in those two verses. That is not something passively happening within us. Those are actions that we must actually take. And so Peter puts it in the imperative format. These are commands to us of things that we must do. And so this is our part. Now look up, look at the words, gird up the loins of your mind, or some of your Bibles may say prepare your minds for action. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. He says be sober or be serious about this. He says set your hope on the things that are to come or the completion of God's grace in your life. As we're saved, God's grace is not complete in us. He gives us new grace every day. The grace that brings us to salvation is that initial grace that we experience, but God's grace is not completed yet. We are going to receive the fullness of that grace when we get to heaven, when the body is finally redeemed. Okay? So there's more to come. And Peter says we got to set our hope not on what we experience now, Because if this is all there is to salvation, boy, we're in trouble, okay? Because the body isn't fixed yet. We still struggle with the sin nature. We still do things that are wrong. We still have trouble getting along with one another. That's not perfect grace. So we look forward to the grace that will be perfected in heaven, Peter says. Set your hope on that. And in verse 14, here's a negative command. He says, not fashioning yourselves or not being conformed to your former lusts. Now, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if we are in Christ, we are new creatures. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. That means everything about us has changed from the inside out. Okay, and when Peter says we don't live according to the former lusts, what he's saying is, our entire perspective and action of life has changed, a different lifestyle, because we're not the same people. And so he says we don't live or we don't conform our lives to lusts anymore. That's what drove us before we were saved. There's something new. There's Jesus Christ. There's the desire to please him. There's the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives to serve the Lord. It's all new. 
And so it's an action, those are action verbs. Now, these are not automatic things that will happen. And like I said, we don't just get to sit back and relax and say, okay, God, do your work. I'm waiting. There is a cooperation on our part that has to happen in order for this work to be completed. And so we endeavor, we hope, we prepare ourselves to pursue holiness. Remember, I said last week, if that is the ultimate goal, as Paul pointed out in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I work toward this. This is the goal. I'm, that, that's everything to me. And I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm going to keep working toward it because that's where we're all going to end up when we get to heaven. If that's the goal, then that should be our attitude. I'm going to pursue this holiness that God has called me to now as I prepare for what is to come in perfection in the future. And so Peter says in verse 13, our hope is looking for that which is yet to come. But the question is, how serious are we about it here? And that's what he's asking. If that's your real hope, you should be serious about it now. Faith lives by hope in the future of grace and not just in the present grace that we experience now, as I mentioned. And so we can't say that grace has saved us just so we can hold on to this salvation and then live however we want in this life. The grace that bought us into salvation is the grace that will continue to sustain us and God continues to pour his grace upon us to make us in this life more like his son Jesus Christ. And so that process is continuing to happen. Now here's something that I want to point out that it's important for us to understand in this regard. As far as a person's being serious about their Christianity, about their perspective, their focus, and that's what Peter's talking about here. I am serious about being a believer, about being a follower of Christ. I have a problem with what's called easy believism salvation. Okay? And this is where people will say, all you need to do is believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you'll be saved. And then you don't need to worry about anything else. You've got your ticket to heaven. Okay? Now, that is the way of salvation. True. We are to trust in the saving blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse our sins and to forgive us of those sins so that before God then, God sees us as righteous through Christ. Okay? That's what salvation is all about. And yes, What we need to do is believe that Jesus died for us, but there's a submission and surrender factor in that belief or in that faith that I've talked about before. We must surrender to the truth that Jesus is our Savior, that we can't save ourselves. We must surrender to the truth of who Jesus is. He is not just a man or a great prophet. He is the Son of God. And as the Son of God, then we must surrender to his authority as well. Now, the argument goes, well, what about the thief on the cross? All he did was believe, right? Well, he didn't have an opportunity to do much more than that. But it's interesting. If you go and read that passage about the thief on the cross, and many people have brought this up to me, not this passage, but the question, well, the thief on the cross, all he did was believe, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. But look at the words that the thief used in Luke chapter 23, verse 42. And the thief said, he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He didn't say Jesus. 
He didn't even just acknowledge him as the Messiah. He said, Lord. See, that was a word, a term of surrender to the authority of Jesus Christ. He called Jesus Lord, and that indicated a submission to his authority, not just as Savior, but as the master of his life. He literally put his entire destiny in the hands of Christ at that moment. And that's what it means to believe in Jesus as your Savior. Everything about me, everything that I am, everything that I will be, I surrender to the Lord. That's salvation. And so Jesus saw that man's heart attitude of surrender and faith, and he promised him that he would be with him in, in, eternal, in the eternity. So when Peter says here in verse 15 that we're called to holiness by God, it means that we are to surrender ourselves for God to make us what he wants us to be. God wants us to be holy. That's his command, as we read in verse 16. That goes all the way back to the Old Testament. That is God's command for his people. It was true in Israel as God's chosen people. It is true for us as the church today. God wants us to be holy, and so he commands that of us, be ye holy as I am holy, and that is his expectation. That's his purpose. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, speaking of Christ, that he might present it, the church, might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So that is God's purpose for us. That's why we are part of the church, so that God can make us holy. Last week, we also saw that holiness is a journey. We could use this idea of being on the journey of holiness, or being on the journey of salvation. We'll call it the process of sanctification, And I think it's best described by the words of John the Baptist, right? He said, he must increase and I must decrease. That's the process of becoming holy. Less of me, more of him. And so my life becomes less about me. It shows less of who I am, more about Jesus Christ and more of who he is. And that's what holiness is all about. And so we're on this journey And if we're on this journey, then we should have a desire to grow and to progress on this journey, to move forward. Now, all of us are on different places in this journey, okay? And as I mentioned last week, it's about spiritual maturity. Some of us have been saved less. Some of us have had not as much opportunity to learn, different teaching, whatever, okay? God knows those circumstances. And it's not, well, someone who's more mature is better, okay? We're all in this together, you know, and as we, as Paul explains spiritual gifts to us in his epistles, he basically says you, the reason you have spiritual gifts is so we can each help each other along this journey with the gift that God has given us. And so we're all on this journey to holiness at different places. But Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, it's the desire to progress on this journey that marks somebody as a true believer. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So it's that desire that should be in us. And that's what Peter's saying here. Do you have the desire to progress in holiness? And if you do, then you're going to do these things. Holiness is what God wants for us. That's his purpose. And as a person who is saved, we should care about what God wants. That should be our goal. 
So when we look at the first obstacle of holiness, apathy, basically a person who doesn't care about God, about God's word, about God's will, about God's nature, which we're supposed to be reflecting in our lives, then they really can't care about holiness either. And if they don't care about becoming holy people as God has purposed for us to do in salvation, then what does that really say about their salvation? Is it a false faith, as Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15? We've believed in vain because we just want the fire insurance to get out of hell. But a person who's apathetic about what holiness is and what it should look like in their lives and what God wants to produce in them, according to Scripture, I don't think we could say that they are truly a believer. Now, I can't make that judgment. God does. But Jesus said many times about believers that it's not going to be an easy task. It's not going to be an easy journey. We're going to have persecution. We're going to have tribulation. And we need to be ready for that. We have to count the cost. But a person who's apathetic about truly becoming holy in all aspects of their life is not a person who truly understands what salvation is all about. Now, verse 15, we talked about this a little bit last week. Look at what Paul, or Peter says. I'm going to keep saying Paul for some reason. It's Peter. Okay, verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in what? All manner of conversation or all manner of conduct. That means every aspect of your outward life. Now, this includes more than just not breaking the Ten Commandments, okay, or committing the big sins. When Peter says we are to be holy in all manner of our conduct, This means every aspect of our lives, the little moments and little events of our lives, the little actions and decisions that we make, should reflect that holiness of God as well. It's not just the big things. It means, basically, that we should want to please God in everything that we do. We'll be concerned whether our relationships with other people, whether our relationships in marriage honor God, our relationships with our children and how we raise our children, how we perform our job, you know, all aspects of our lives is about pleasing God. We will be concerned about little things like how does the way I dress please God or does it? Does it honor him? Does it reflect that perfect nature of holiness? What about the entertainment, the music that I engage in my life? Does that reflect the nature of God? We have to ask those questions. And by the time you get to 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says the whole purpose in everything we do is to glorify God. And he uses two examples, even when we what? Eat and drink. Those are the most mundane things of life. We are to glorify God in those, those activities. And so in the smallest, most mundane things of our life, Peter is referencing them here, and he says, in everything we are to reflect God's nature of holiness. Everything we do, everything that we're engaged in, every word that comes out of our mouth, is it holy? And if you don't care whether every part of your life reflects the nature and glory of God, no matter how insignificant it may seem to you, then you can't be serious about truly becoming holy as God has called us to be holy. 
And so that is the challenge that Peter gives us here. Are you serious about holiness to the point where you understand it affects every little part of your life? Nothing is left out. Peter goes on, he uses the word sober here in verse 13. It means to be serious. Literally translated, it means don't be drunk or don't be controlled by a foreign substance. But it's serious, focused. And what are we to be focused on? What are we to be serious about? Living in holiness. That's the whole context. And so if we are apathetic, we can't be sober or serious about it. It's just the opposite. Apathy, the I don't care, it really doesn't matter to me, I'm going to go to heaven anyway. That's one of the biggest obstacles that will keep us from becoming exactly what God has called us to. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Peter, in several chapters ahead of this, and we'll get to this someday, but he says, be sober, serious, focused, be vigilant, pay attention, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So there's the consequences of not being serious about our holiness that God has called us to, is that Satan will take those opportunities when in our apathy to drag us down into sin. And that's the only two choices we have. Either I'm going to be serious about focusing on the holiness that God wants to produce in me and respond accordingly in every area of my life, or I'm not going to care about that holiness and Satan is going to drag me into sin. There's no middle ground. That's the two choices we make. And that's why Peter uses the same word sober in that verse in chapter 5. Be sober. Pay attention. Because Satan wants to destroy you. Now, I'm afraid that too many professing Christians have come to God to get saved from hell, and that's where their salvation stops. And as I mentioned, there's no such thing as easy believism salvation. It's not, well, I'm not going to, he- I'm not going to hell, I'm going to go to heaven, so that's all that matters. Okay, that's not how Jesus describes salvation. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, I want you to understand some of these passages Okay, Paul instructs us this way. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's work. Not work for us to get saved, but work for us to do because we are saved. Our work does not keep us saved. Our work is a result of being saved. And because our desires are different, that new creature, then we will want to. That work will become important to us. We're not going to be perfect in it. I understand that but it should be a priority. And and Paul's instruction there, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He says fear and trembling because if you don't care about the work, what does that say about really caring about the Christ who saved us? In 1 Peter chapter 4, again, our author here, in verse 17 and 18, he says, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it begin at if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous, listen to these words, scarcely be saved, and this is what I call the skin of our teeth salvation. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? And what Peter is saying is basically none of us deserve to be there. We're going to get to heaven, and I believe the first question that we're going to be asking is, how did I ever end up here because I don't deserve this? 
We know, and we will know, that's not what we should have gotten. And that's why all the glory goes to Jesus Christ. But he says, if the righteous scarcely be saved, and, and that's the righteous. Those are people who are seeking holiness, who are living, trying to live in holiness through the, through the, uh, the uh, power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he says, they're scarcely saved. We get in, but scarcely. In First Peter, I'm sorry, in James chapter 2, George shared this verse with us in Sunday school in verses 17 through 24, talking about faith, okay? And I'm talking about this easy believism without any worries afterwards. He says, even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. That's a false faith, okay? Yea, a man say, thou hast faith, I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I will show you my faith by my works. Thou believest there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe, and tremble. You can't believe what the devils believe about God and get to heaven. It has to be more than that. He goes on and he says, But wilt thou know, O man, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. And then in verse 24 in James 2, it's probably one of the most controversial passages in all of the Bible, because James says, You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Now, he's not saying we have to work for our salvation. He's saying your true salvation is demonstrated in what you do afterwards. And if you don't care about becoming holy, if you don't care what God wants for you in salvation, that's not true faith. Now, it's okay to come to God in fear of hell. He uses that to draw us to himself. None of us wants to go to hell. But we have to understand that salvation is not about not going to hell. Salvation is about repenting from sin so that we can be reunited with God in fellowship. That's the whole motivation. If you don't care about God and all you care about is not going to hell, you're probably going to end up there. Because you can't be saved and not care about the Lord Jesus Christ and not care about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want heaven when you die, but you don't want a relationship with God now, then you've believed in vain, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so to have that relationship with God in true salvation, we have to be serious about what God has called us to in that relationship while we're still in this life. And what he's called us to in that relationship is to become like him, to reflect his nature. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 15, the author says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, means pursue holiness. And then he says, Without which no man shall see the Lord. Holiness is part of salvation. That sanctification process 
where we become more holy and more like Christ is a marker, if you will, that demonstrates we are truly saved. And the writer of Hebrews says, if you don't care about holiness, you're not going to see the Lord. And then he says, looking diligently, there's that focus, that attention, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Holiness is a vital part of our salvation. And we can't live our lives as believers saying, well, you know what, whatever happens, happens. Whatever I do, I do. I'm going to heaven. That's not holiness. That's not true faith, based on what the Bible tells us. And so apathy, which breeds laziness, is the first obstacle that prevents us from from becoming holy as God has called us to be, holy. Now, I've got two more points, and it's already afternoon, okay? And I told my wife, I don't know if we're going to get through all this, and so we're going to have to stop there for today. And I apologize, because my second point's longer than my first point, so we'll never get through it. But I'm I'm giving you the introduction, so you have to come back next week to get the next two parts, okay? But this morning we've seen what holiness is, and that one of the biggest obstacles to holiness is just apathy. I don't care. I don't care about whether I'm holy. I don't care about little parts of my life. I'm just going to do whatever I do. And God doesn't care. We're going to look at that argument as well, okay? But coming into next week, we're going to see that if we take an apathetic approach to God's call to holiness for us, we will end up living in ignorance. And that's the second obstacle. I'm not going to go into detail today. Next week, come back, and you'll see how that affects us in our walk with the Lord. Okay? So we're going to close there. Let's have a word of prayer as we finish this morning. Father, again, we just thank you for your word. Your Lord, you, you guide us and you lead us through your teaching. And we know that it's vitally important for us to pay attention to what you tell us because what you've revealed in your word is what you have called us to. And Lord, this aspect of holiness, I think, is so overlooked, is so undervalued in the lives of believers. But help us to see how important it is because this is the purpose for which you've called us. And so, Lord, as we sang this morning, teach us your way. Help us to live the way that you want us to through the power of your spirit, through the leading of your spirit as we study your word. Lord, we'll give you the glory for this time. We thank you for what you've given us now. Empower us to live this out as we go our way. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with...